The Sports Career Podcast, episode 333. What is the lifestyle to be a sports broadcaster? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. Or if you are a loyal listener, thank you as always for tuning in every week. I'm your host Ed Bowers and as always each week I like to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in sports broadcasting. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Stella Mills. Stella is a sports broadcaster where she specialises in journalism with regards to women's sport, especially in the women's rugby industry. Also, she's worked with a variety of brands such as World Rugby, England Rugby, O2, Canterbury and many more. For that reason, it's such a joy to have Stella as a podcast special guest on the show. That's when today's episode, Stella will share her sports career journey and explain to you the lifestyle of what it really takes to be a sports broadcaster in the sports industry. Stella, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to the listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? When did it all start? Well, you could arguably say it started when I picked up a rugby ball when I was at school. Uh, I fell in love with the sport, but officially I went to university, actually did a master's in international marketing. And then that's where I thought, oh, hang on. I, I really like the storytelling element and how you can convey information to people. Um, I guess it really started in lockdown. Uh, I was working a job um, I didn't enjoy. Um, I was crying a lot. Um, it was just a PR agency. Nothing, you know, really wrong with them, but it just wasn't the right fit for me in terms of, someone else being in control of my time and me kind of just you know it was, I was writing about things that I, I didn't love I wasn't passionate about it and then I had a meeting and she won't mind me saying um because I've told her this recently with Flo Williams um and I stayed up all night preparing for it all night I was up till about 3am just writing writing about rugby and what could we do and like how you grow the game and I thought right, there's something in this here. Like there's something that has to be made out of this. So I had this meeting with her and then the the whole night after the meeting, I was writing and, and scribbling down and thought, I need to quit my job. I need to quit my job and I, I need to do something. I don't know what it is, but I've got to do something in women's rugby because it's my ultimate passion. I was playing it at the time. I saw a big gap and I thought people need to talk about women's rugby and we need to have a storytelling in women's sport because it's dull it's boring and it, you, you get stats from the end of the game okay great but what was the funny part of the game what are the girls like on the bus like you know what, what what's your training routine I don't want to know what's in your kit bag before training I want to know the juicy stuff and the personality was there I saw it at grassroots I saw it at elite and I just saw it right so I basically quit my job had two months to sort myself out in the middle of a pandemic everyone but my dad told me I was crazy 
Um, and he was like, right, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it properly. And I thought, right, let's go. So I I initially did some PR. Um, so the Ruggett, um Eye Care Movement, um, I knew I stuck to what I knew, which was PR. Um, so I, I PR'd that whole thing for her. So got her coverage in the Telegraph, the Times, World Rugby. And that's when I kind of had a bit of a, and it was, it was always like doing it for a friend because she didn't feel like a client because I knew her already, Steph, who runs Ruggett. So it was like, oh, I, I've got a lot of, you know, contacts. And I just thought, right, put your PR brain on and how can you make this a career? And I tell you what I did every day in lockdown, I was on LinkedIn, I was on Twitter and I was talking to everyone and anyone I know. And I just made a point to have a Zoom call three times a week with three different people and build relationships and, and ask advice and say, what stories do you want to be told in the women's rugby space? Like, is there any work that you think isn't being done? Like, and I basically just fell into it and I got... um really lovely offered um some writing girls rugby club then rugby pass um and then started doing content creation telling stories on tiktok and it went from there stella shut the front door hope people are taking notes okay we've got to decode this okay we've got to decode this hold on with regards to you figuring out that you weren't enjoying your drugs people resonate with this massively on this podcast, as you can probably imagine, after interviewing quite a fair few people, passion always comes across quite a lot, this P word. But when was that real inner desire? Was it that 3 a.m. experience when you were like, this was it? Because a lot of people just don't have that courage to say internally and to others around them, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going this path. For me, I resonated that with my podcast back in 2015. Nobody knew what a podcast was and people going, what are you doing? And I just believe that this idea of creating a sports career resource was my solution, my my calling. I'm just curious, going reflecting back in 2020, like how you process that decision. I know you shared a little bit of that two month, but can we break it down of what you did? I'm so glad your father believed with you because I think you need cheerleaders that provide a little bit of encouragement. But how did you like process that two months? I hope you don't mind me going nitty gritty. I know you mentioned about the three LinkedIn calls and building relationship, but did you create a plan or didn't you? Or did you just fall in and put the processes in place because it was a necessity to figure this out in a two month period? I'm just curious. There was no plan. There was no plan. And that was the scary part. And it was sink or swim. So it was like a real fight. Like it was a, I've made this decision. And I remember so specifically sending my resignation and thinking, fuck it's time like it's time it's time let's go baby like and it was like you have to put and I think people will be able to resonate with times like this in their life where you have to put everything into this otherwise it's gonna it's gonna sink there was no one behind me saying right so you have to do this this and this today there still isn't to this day it's me and I am the person that will be you know all the time at birthday parties or social events on my phone and it's not because I'm being rude it's because I'm working it's because something big has come out from the, the rugby industry. It needs attention and it needs something up now because that's what I'm known for is the reactiveness. And I've had to give a lot away from that. But going back to your original question, the moment I think there was two moments. So the big moment was when I had that call with Flo um, and I came off of it. It was I knew when I was prepping for it, something was going on. When I came off the call, I pressed end on the Zoom call and I thought, right then how do I make this a job because I I don't remember smiling like this you know I hadn't I had been very depressed in that job for a long time I'm only 25 so when I was doing that I was what 22 23 fresh out of uni 
had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And don't get me wrong, they gave me such good skills. I wouldn't be where I was without that job now. But for my mental health, my sanity, I couldn't carry on. And the, anyone that works in the PR industry will know it's brutal. It's, br- it's late nights. And if you don't love what you're doing and writing about, you know, if that would have been a rugby like agency, we would be having a different conversation. I'd be talking to you as an account manager or an account director of that firm, but it wasn't. And I knew I had the skills to write and I just thought I need to do this. And I think I am, I'll be very honest. I got signed off for two months with stress um, and I didn't expect that coming. So I went to the doctor and I just said, look, this is my, what's happening. Like I'm not sleeping. Can I have some sleeping tablets? I just want something to knock me out and, you know, sort me out. And, and basically he said, I need to sign you off. You you can't be doing that job anymore. It's not, It's it doesn't seem like it's something for you. I originally got signed off for a week and he said, look, do a routine. Don't stay in bed all day. Get up and, and go walking and, and do stuff. And this is after the call with Flo. And I thought, you know what? I've, I've got a bit of time here and I've got some time to think about what I want. And I think in that, in that period of time, it was like, <clears throat> really cementing the idea so I put my resignation and I think a week after that stress um and I the doctor signed me off for a bit longer and just said look you you can't go back to that job it's really not doing your head any favors you know I was crying and I I just I remember having so many just breakdowns and we're in the middle of a lockdown as well I didn't need that and they tried so hard to help me but I just was like this isn't the right job for me. This isn't a fit for me. And you've given me so many skills, but, and I remember having another moment was my best friend, Emily came to pick me up in her car. We got Starbucks and we were driving around. We were listening to music and we, she hates her job as well. We were both screaming and being like, I hate my job. And like, it was like a real like moment. Like, and I thought, and Emily looked at me and she went, you've got to leave she went you've got to do something you've got she was like if anyone can do it it's you like you've got to get out of this job and and do your own thing so I had no plan there was no plan I just knew knew I needed to make jump and you know you either sink or swim and luckily I flew you know so there's that okay I hope you don't mind I'm thank you so much for sharing the vulnerability side I do need to acknowledge that of you acknowledging your health, but and I need to dig deep in this just for educating listeners if they're in this situation. Reflecting now of the acceptance of what the doctor said to you, how did that sort of provide a way more mentally to like look at your life in a different pair of glasses? Because when we're in a job which we don't enjoy, we think it's the lifestyle we have to live due to it's the way we live. And sometimes we don't take that step back. So reflecting on listening to the doctor and following his guidance, reflecting on how has it supported you now with your health in general? Because I want other people to listen going, there is support out there. Don't fool you're on your own. And you you driving your car with your friends shouting, I hate my job because life's too short to think like that. So, but I just want to reflect on that moment when, you know, listening to educated health people can support you when things aren't working out in our lifestyle in general. In general, God, you you put me on the spot today. I'm wow. Mike's yours. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that you don't know that you're in that situation until you're far clear of it. I'd say it was only a year into my career that I looked back and thought, wow, like if I didn't get myself out of that situation, I would have been in a far worse place. 
So I think the first thing, and speaking directly to the listeners here, is that don't be so hard on yourself if you don't realise what's going on. Because day to day, you've got the washing, you've got the dog to walk, you know, you've got friends to see, or you've got something to look forward to, you've got CrossFit comp. You know, speaking from my own <laughs> my own day to day, there um, you, things can swallow you up, and your day to day just gets on top, and you just brush things aside and think, oh, whatever, whatever. But the problem, you know, you have to almost check in with yourself and think, am I happy? Like, do I get? And I, I don't think everyone should jump out of bed in the morning and be happy to go to work. Some days I don't. Um, some days when I've got an admin day or I'm sending out invoices, I think, oh, oh, you know, like, but. On, if you take it as an average, you should be excited about your job. It shouldn't in too many people I see, friends, family, hate their jobs. And you just think there's a world beyond that, you know? And I think when you're, when you're health, if I had a broken leg, I'd go straight to the doctor. I had a broken brain and I didn't go straight to the doctor. I waited. I waited a long time. And I only went because I wanted some sleeping pills to knock me out so I could carry on with my job. You know, I didn't go with the intention of getting signed off because I didn't see that as an option. And I certainly didn't see this career as an option. So, you know, in I, I hate the cliche, oh, you can always ask for help, you can always talk to somebody, but it's true. And sometimes you just have to be very honest and say, I'm not okay. Like I'm, I'm not dealing with this, and and actually, I need some time off. And don't get me wrong; it was very difficult to ask for that and say, and actually leave that job and say, "This isn't working for me." You know, this isn't, this isn't, but because it seems like such a big part of your life, and it is a big part of your life, but it's not your whole life. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking forward to having two days of annual leave in September. You know, fixated on focusing on that when actually to make your job bearable you know and and it goes for everything and I for me it was the right choice because I can't have a boss I can't I'm my own boss and I the ebbs and flows of rugby really suit me because I love it and you know for example if something come through right now on my phone I'd, I'd be on it you know like I'd I'd but that's out of passion and if something big like you know um yesterday the women's sports trust revealed a big report and I looked straight to the women's Six Nations stuff, saw the stats and thought I was supposed to um, like have plans for the evening. And I thought, ah, that's it. Like, I want to sit and I want to do this. And it was, I still did my plans a bit later, still went to my stuff, but I pushed everything out of the way. And I do that because I love it. So that's the difference. I do that because I love it, not because I have to. Whereas before, if a boss said, oh, which they did multiple times, oh, you have to do this over the weekend, it would have been like, oh. I don't want to do that. Like I'm not, you've start thinking of excuses as well. I'm not paid enough. Like I don't love this job enough. Like that's not in my contract. If I had a contract right now for this hypothetical job I've got, it'd be blown to smithereens. Cause I wouldn't, it would be like, I don't care. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Do we fly to New Zealand? No worries, mate. On the plane already. You know, <laughs> like. So it comes down to the internal motivation in while we work, not the external. Is that because I'm decoding this? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'll be very honest, like it, if you want to do a job for money, then I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons because you can get money doing anything, right? You can pull back-to-back shifts in a bar and, and be really well off, you know, but 
that's not going to get you out of bed in the morning, but also it's not even getting out of bed in the morning. And that's such a big phrase, but hey, let's talk about staying up till 3am, you know, or let's talk about that job, pulling you away from a family thing or pulling you away from the gym or you having to sacrifice, you know, stuff like just random things that you have to sacrifice, like, oh God, I'm actually, you know, I've got, I got a call the other day, well, a while ago saying, oh, can you work this event in London in the morning? And I thought, yeah, yeah, got a call 20 minutes later. Oh, can you do this event other side of London in the afternoon? And I thought, oh God, I have to drive through central London, but that's the only option because the trains are off. And I hate driving. I hate, I'm not, I'm not a big driver, I'm, you know, fairly new off that, but it's stuff like that, that you just, you, you scrap everything and being very transparent, my love life isn't great. Um, but I then have to be with somebody who understands that and my friends get it. You know, they'll not hear from me for weeks and then I'll send them a big voice note and you need a, a support system around you who understand that even though I'm on social media and you see me every day, that's my email, that's my equivalent of emails is Instagram. So if you see me posting and active on that, great, but that's not to be friends or pally or reply to someone's DM, that's a, a job. I just want to go into something even a bit more detail here because this is a fascinating conversation tony robbins said something i I sort of learned from him and learned he said there's sort of three pillars of how it works you do your job you have your career and you have a meaningful mission and he sort of said like job only lasts so far you may enjoy the first couple years and then like you you experience you do not like it career is you think bigger picture in like the direction way but meaningful mission is you want to basically create change i don't use legacy too much but I can hear in your voice that working in rugby and the work you're doing is a meaningful mission right from your first statement of like trying to make rugby or women's rugby in particular, like the storytelling more exciting. I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that because I think when I pivoted from going from career to now meaningful mission, I look at work differently. I look I look at it, it's got to pay bills, it's got to do the necessities financial side. I don't want to get carried away here, but Everything I do, my decisions have to align with my values, principles and why I shirk because time is the most important asset. So I love to hear your thoughts on what I've just said, because I can hear it. I can see it. But hopefully this for the listener can learn a bit more of your decision, but most importantly, lifestyle and what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, everyone's got to pay the bills. And I think there's no shame in, you know, even recently I was thinking about rugby season coming to an end. Do I need to get like a job in a coffee shop or a bar or something like that to fulfill that and pay the bills um, when things are quiet? So that's important. You can't, you can't, I say this a lot to people who expect me to work for free or below average. You don't pay the bills with passion. I can't eat passion, you know? So there's, there's a bit of the part in that, but when you find something that you are really set on doing and for me it's doing that but it's also seeing the change so when you see for example Twickenham pitch side that 58,000 people looking up at the crowd so I looked to my left and the Red Roses were there lifting the trophy and I looked to my right and there was 58,000 fans you just think this job is worth it and I have played a really tiny minor part in maybe getting two or three, four, five people in that crowd. I've helped and I've done that. And that's my thanks. I don't need money, big amounts of money. I don't need massive praise on the internet. I just need that five second moment of thinking, 
I'm a part of this. I, I, I have worked tirelessly to do this. And that there's a bit of self-recognition here, hey, because you have to praise yourself, but you also in that same breath have to praise everyone else who's helped you get there. And there is a lot of people, we don't have enough time to sit and go through the amount of people that have helped me through this. But to be a small cog in that wheel, and to honestly, I had a little cry. I looked up at the fans and I thought, this is mind-blowing that this is a job. Because three years ago, I would have been in that crowd, looking down at someone like me, thinking, how do I do her job? What's she doing? How is she rubbing shoulders with the elite of women's rugby? How is she sat there? You know, and I even I still to this day have my friends who are in the crowd or associates or ex ex teammates go sending me pictures of me in that, you know, my recognizable white or beige coat going, That's you, like, what are you doing rubbing shoulders with Marley Packer or like Skaz or, you know, what why are they coming up to you and hugging you? What's going on? And, you know, it's it's like you still pinch yourself and I don't you know, even if I'm doing this like 30 years from now, which I hope I will be, I don't think it's ever going to get old. And that excitement's never going to leave. Like the excitement of driving to a game day, I always do the same thing. I get in my car, I get a Starbucks and I put my music on. It was the Sugar Babes that day, ironically. And I blast the music and I just sit there and I think I'm going to work and I can't wait because it's just going to be fun, you know? Oh, I know I can sit. Look, I hope the listeners are enjoying this because this is like positive energy. One thing I want to get into now a little bit. I hope it's cool because I'm loving the energy. I'm loving that you know your why. I want to go back in a bit on skill sets because you've acknowledged the company you were at, that you did develop skills. And I'm all about, you know, to do any role, you've got to develop your own skills, whatever the role it is. I'm just curious, reflecting how PR was a great springboard in what you're doing now. Like, could we just decode some of the skills that reflecting you're like, do you know what? As much as I didn't enjoy the passion of the work I was doing, kudos to that office environment that I was developing skills that supported me now. Because I, 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 as I said, I think skills are vital. And when we know them and we know our strengths, that's how we achieve what you're doing right now, that, that you just love the work you do. So I'd just love to hear what skills from PR really supported you reflecting now. Yeah, I think there's a few. I mean, first of all, no one really knows what PR is. I didn't know. I just saw the job description and thought, hey, I can do all of those things. Let's let's sign me up. I think the main one is PRing something. So what I mean by that, and let's break it down, is the ability to sell something into someone, to, to sell an idea. Into... When you're blind emailing journalists, who quite frankly, and I know this because now I'm in that boat, get hundreds of emails a day, you have to catch someone's attention immediately. So it's like an elevator pitch, but in an email. So it's really hard. So there's that. And then there's building relationships was crucial. So I learned very, very quickly how, first of all, nice it was to just be able to talk to people, but how beneficial it was to network and how important it was to have and leverage. And still to this day, I do leverage those personal relationships and have learned how to network, how to talk to people. And I already had the confidence but it was molding me into somebody who was able to sit in a room full of a hundred people and individually be able to speak to those hundred people and have find some common ground. And, and I don't just mean polite talking when you're networking, you have an agenda. Everyone has an agenda and the agenda was either my clients, the, the business or myself when I was working there. So being able to have that and, and, and being able to hone in on that skill 
The next one was probably writing. Um, so being able to write a, a decent press release, um, which, you know, I, I write a lot now. Being fortunate enough to write for World Rugby, Rugby Pass, have my own columns, you know, do some fantastic things. And being able to engage someone in a way that's had my own style on it. I think I've now, since I've left, learned that I'm quite chatty and people like to read chatty things. You know, if you're you're having your coffee on a Saturday morning, the last thing you want to read is like an academic style article. You're not going to breathe it in. And I think the, the final thing I learned there was how to really, really quickly and easily, whether it be social media, in a conversation, in an email, anything, convey a point immediately because the art of and this is why I think I've done so well in my career on Twitter particularly and Instagram and even TikTok you have to get someone's attention quickly to grow the game to grow your business and to grow your the fan base of women's rugby or women's sport you need to tell someone who's never watched a game why they should be watching it it's got to be a snappy headline you know you call it the three second hook when you're doing a bit of content on TikTok and the stuff goes really well so skill sets I'd say I, I learned a lot of things from that job um and then I guess thrown into that as resilience because you need a lot of that to work in PR and you know it's, it's a weird one my career because I don't really have a specific job title you know I do a lot of things I've moved into broadcasting now which is fantastic I still do the writing I still do the content creation do a bit of event hosting potentially you know moving into some other avenues as well and that's the beauty of being a freelancer is that you can draw on these different skills and think, what am I good at? What do I want to do? You know, how can I push this forward with the overarching goal to push the agenda through of, of women's sport? Wow. I again, I hope people are taking notes. This is crucial because I can connect with that with my podcasting skills. So then being a moderator, you just got to try it and give it a go. I think that's an important point I want to highlight. Now, just like on those skills, now you're doing the broadcasting event hosting I'm a big believer you end up finding what you enjoy the most. Like I call your niche, shall we say? For me, when I learn from you, it's without doubt, number one, the content creating and then your interviewing skills at events. Tell me if I'm right or wrong, but have you now honed in your core aspects of what you, you know, as a freelancer, but also, you know, you deliver? Because I, I want the listeners to learn that you may have all these skills, but at the end of the day, you've got to focus on three that core things that can monetize. So I'm just curious of what I've said, reflecting what I've learned from you outside of social media looking in. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, so I think my I've always been able to talk to people. I've always been very relatable. And to be able to build a rapport with someone very quickly is so important. And I think that's such a key skill as a broadcaster, as an event host, is when you're interviewing somebody, whatever you want. There's, look, there's lots of different terms for what I do, broadcaster, event host. The foundation of it is communication. And I think that you, when you can hone in on something you enjoy, you can apply those skills to different things. You know, you when I was out in the Rugby World Cup, it was literally, I kid you not, like talking to friends. It, I, I, I am the best pers person and the best version of me on camera because I feel like I'm not on camera. It was very easy to do these things. It was, it was natural. I had the knowledge, but also I felt like I can see very easily if someone's comfortable, uncomfortable, if I need to explore a bit more. You know, an example of that, we went to interview some of the Canadian girls. Great, great girls. And um, 
we were doing like a little bit of a jokey segment and it was um one of them kind of mentioned oh I was like what's the wildest thing you've ever done and she was like oh yeah you know we got a tattoo the other day and I thought and she looked like she wanted to say a bit more so I thought go on then give us a show and she pulled down her trousers and it was a kiwi on her bum and I was like and honestly it made for the best content my producer behind the camera was screaming I was off camera like she's pulled down this thing and obviously we're in New Zealand and if you get a kiwi it's supposed to be the bird not the actual fruit and I thought do you even know like what you've done here and it was the best content but it was funny and it was because I I had the ability to push that and you know equally I've done some really serious stuff you know and perhaps the stuff you don't see but to, to make to make those articles that I pushed out that were quite serious about contracts contract negotiations you have to have that rapport with somebody that they feel open to have a communication, a, a conversation and trust you. That A lot of that isn't on camera, you know, but you, you have to know when to push, know when to not push and then reassure them that actually anything they say is still their control. And the words they say, we're not, a lot of the stuff I do isn't live. And I always make a point straight off the bat, no matter who they are, I don't care if they're the CEO of World Rugby or, you know, if they're a grassroots captain, I'll say, Hey, this isn't live. I can edit anything you don't want out. Let's just have a conversation and see where it goes. Because ultimately, like we're here for the same cause. I'm not here to trip you up. I'm I'm here to grow the game. So let's chat. And it goes it goes great, you know. Boom! That's what I did before this podcast. I said the same thing to Stella. I said this will be edited. You know, for me, if things happen, the post person or the dog barks. This is vital, everybody. Please take note. And I want to just highlight something. It's going to state the obvious, but I think it's vital with regards to pursuing a career. How important, you've said quite a few times, building relationships, but how important is building that trust at the same time? Because I've learned, I've interviewed a lot of people. It is about self-awareness, looking at their body language, looking at their tone and how they speak. But it all comes down to them being, they feel like you're trustworthy. I'd just like to hear your thoughts on why trust is vital particularly in the sports industry in general? I think it's it's an interesting question because you, to be very frank and honest, if you are in the media, um, you already have, from anyone you'll ask, um, a slightly negative tinge. So if, if I'm called a journalist, my friends even say it, they take the mick all the time. They're like, oh, she's a dirty journo, you know? And you just think, Ah ha ha! You laugh off, but you think a lot of media get bad press. You know, if we look at like uh, Harry and Meghan, you know, all the media surrounding that, the media never really get a good rep. So, first of all, that's very hard because people think you're always out to get them and out to get a scintillating story. Um, luckily, with me, that's not the case because I I feel like a lot of people I talk to, I, I'll straight off the bat say, I'm not here to catch you out. I'm really not here to catch you out. I'm here and I'll be very clear. I'm here to understand about X, Y, and Z, you know, and this is what I would like to learn about. A lot of it comes down to trust comes from learning about the other person and what they're comfortable with, their boundaries, respecting those boundaries, but also being very honest. Trust and honesty go hand in hand. So if you have honest intentions, that's okay. And I think it takes a long time to build trust. You know, I've been doing this for what, three three years and the relationships I have I treasure because people will come to me with things 
off the bat, you know, and it's not to cause a story. It's not to for me to, to go. I know a lot of things that will never see the light of day, but they're helpful because then they then inform how I'll look to something. If a new policy comes out or if some news gets announced or I can look at it with a different point of view because I already know what's going on behind the scenes. And that's because people trust me and they have the trust to know that I might know those things, but they'll never see the light of day. But what they will do is inform how I see and then comment on things. So it's very important as well. And this is a general top tip is when you're listening to someone, listen and read between the lines because nine times out of 10, when you're giving, when someone's giving an opinion on something, they know far more than they're letting on. They, they either can't or won't say it, but it'll be between the lines. So you need to listen to what they're saying and think, hang on, what's going on there? Because something, something is between the lines that you're not saying that's informing what you're talking about. So that's just like a, a general top tip. But in terms of trusting, I think it, it's really important. And there's no easy way to build trust. And, and not everyone's going to like you. There's a lot of people in this industry and beyond that don't like me. And they don't like what I'm doing. And the the trolling, the comments, the messages, the DMs are never ending. But ultimately, if you know you're true to yourself and on a good path and doing what you're doing because you love it and it's it's doing well and for the greater good, then you're okay and you're able to not ignore the comments because they're a bit difficult sometimes, but you're able to focus and hone in on your craft. May I ask how you process the trolling, the negativity, because I see it's something that frustrates me a lot, um, particularly when you're trying to do things with good intention, which I know you are, and there's other broadcasters who get it, and it just saddens me. It's not just athletes. I think there's times um, I, it saddens me when athletes get negative abuse when it's untouched, but it's actually people in the industry, and I don't think it's talked enough about that it's not just players, it's actually people in the industry too. I'm just curious of how you filter it do you have a way of like you've read it move on or I don't know I, I think this is just an important point because it's not discussed in my in my opinion enough when you put your head above the water you push for change and you fight for something and it is a fight that you really believe in you become a target because everyone else is underwater and they're not visible when you put your face to something and when you push something forward, you have a target. And I think part of this job really, really requires, and I haven't got that fully yet, to understand that, appreciate it and put it to the side. Now, there have been times where I, someone actually um, made like a, a fake account or something on Twitter um, and it was it was brutal. It was really nasty and it got, I don't know who it was, but it was obviously someone that was fairly close to me because it was fairly personal information they were revealing and pushing out. And I um, I tried to put a story up on Instagram and just say, I'm going to take a bit of time off. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't want to do this right now. And I ended up crying on the story. And I just thought, you know what? No, I'm actually going to leave that up because I am upset and it has upset me and I'm not a brick wall put it off took some time off and let me tell you I needed that time I just needed a few days to myself not on my phone not talking to anyone not you know doing anything living an easy boring life cooking dinner going on a run 
And I came back and I thought, right, okay, I can deal with this now. But the flip side of that was actually, oh my gosh, my inbox was stacked full of people that I'd never even met. Mary Earps, you know, was was messaging me saying, keep going queen, like, you know, and I think there's this such a negative side of the internet, but also such a positive side because people rally around you and, and you feel like, you know what, I got knocked down, but I'm actually, I'm going to get back up. And I, I protect myself online. I've been working very closely with TikTok um, with their um, keywords. So I'll filter out keywords. I won't allow, I get a lot of stick for my eyebrows all the time, real bad. So I don't let anyone comment the word eyebrows on my TikTok. This is when all the listeners are going to be like, eyebrows and try and comment. But um, I, I filter out stuff that I already, I preempt it. And I try and, I, from writing as well, um, a lot of the the comments, everyone will know, the comments of an article is a cesspit. Never do it. Never look. Because it's always, you know, when I've tried to make the point of, um, I don't like double headers, people just crazy for you. When women should be paid more, crazy for you, you know. And, and you just have to accept. And going through my own journey, I've learned, you can't control what somebody else does or says or thinks. You just can control yourself. And more needs to be done. What that is, I don't know. I don't know how how you're going to control it because in the real world, someone can say these things to you and there's no censorship. So how do you control that online? You know, you, you almost have to protect yourself, not dive too deep into things. And, um, you know, I've put quiet hours on my Instagram or I'll do, um, you can do uh, automatic replies. So if I get something, um, and this is moving away from trolling, but more how to deal with a lot of messages and, and things like that. If I get, usually it's an inquiry that will need to be directed to my um like email I, I press number one on instagram and it sends this pre-written message from me that says hi thanks for inquiring like you know it just takes a bit of energy and effort away from from the admin um so yeah going back to the original thing i think baseline is trolling not nice not easy to deal with everyone gets affected if you say you don't you're lying because it's not nice to read nice things about yourself but you have to have a stronger sense of self to understand that actually what they're saying isn't true. My eyebrows are fine. What I'm talking about is fine. You know, a lot of people agree with me. And actually, I know that from my my heart that I'm doing this for the right reasons. So it doesn't matter what you say, because it can't shake me down to the point where I'll stop this job. And there's been times, there, there's been so many times, don't get me wrong, where <clears throat> I think, oh, you know what, maybe I should just check it in. Maybe I should just jack it in. Maybe I should should do this, or you know, maybe I should just get a normal job, like just work at a coffee shop. Like it'd be so much easier. But then there's times where I'm in Twickenham or I'm in Eden Park in New Zealand, and there's forty five thousand people screaming for a game of women's rugby, and you think, not a chance in hell am I jacking this in? Absolutely not. Go and have a nap, Stella. Go and have a coffee. Have a few days off. Come back to it and let's go, baby. Because you you can't give up on something when it's so good you can't leave it you can't what an awesome reply and I'm so glad it ended on positive because when I was listening there's so many wrongs that need to change on social media let's just put that out there and it it does it needs to be uh solved and I want to pis- you know position things on a positive because now hopefully people understanding the lifestyle that's the main podcast topic of being a broadcaster you you're explaining it you're sharing the stories but I want to pivot on personal brand. Now we've explained how you receive negative trolls. We've gone through that, but I'm just curious, when was the moment of your journey when you went, right, 
the skills. This is what I want to do. Love rugby. But you realize that personal brand is a, you know, an element that's going to get you out there to create opportunities. Because I'm a firm believer, sort of about how many followers you have, it's how you build your brand in the area you want to work in. So I'm just curious from 2020 when personal brand and content creation was a bit of a priority in your career development. Yeah, so I think your personal brand is essential, whether you work as a freelancer, whether you're in a wider industry or even if you don't have a job, what people think about you and how you conduct yourself and who you are is crucial because it's your sense of self. So let I can only talk about what I know, uh, which is being a freelancer. So from that perspective, what my social media and how I show up at events and who I am, even how I'm talking now, is my shop window. So it's how people, you know, when you walk past M&S or when you walk past, I don't know, New Look or Topshop, you look into that window and you think, oh, I actually really like that pair of shoes. I'm going to go in and have a look. I'm going to go in and have a look. When people listen to this podcast or when they see my content on TikTok or they see me talking about something or I'm at an event with them and we're having a chat about something, they think, oh, I'm going to go and have a look. You know, so I realized very soon that to facilitate that and for them to go and have a look, things have to be aligned. My social media should say straight away what I do, how I do, who I am, a sense of what I'm doing and and basically just show them exactly who I am and how I convey myself. But then you need things for me. The website was very important, uh, not for everyone, but it was for me. Um, to showcase my work, my LinkedIn, crucial. You know, you unfortunately, we don't live in tiny towns anymore where you run into someone on the street and then you get a job out of it, you know? We live in a massive global world where the easiest way for someone to talk to you and to understand about you is on socials. So I try to convey a very real perspective. I've always, always from the off, from the bat, been very honest. I'll show things on socials that, you know, some people have said, oh, this looks like your private story. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, are you supposed to say stuff like that? But I try to be as authentic as possible, and that is my personal brand. I, you know, I've realised recently, really minor, but I like beige. Beige is like a good colour for me. It's my colour palette, right? The white's the beige. So everything, I, I, you know, I, my website has tints of that. Like, my Instagram highlights were beige, you know, and... And I I feel like I'm getting to know myself and who I am a bit more. But the the way I feel, you know, you can go on as many courses as you like to develop a personal brand. And, and they're great. They're great. I've been on a few, a bit sat in on a few awareness things of how to build a brand. You know, the only real way you find out is through doing. And, you know, you dip your toe into something and you think, I like this. You know, I dip my toe into broadcasting. I love it you know, you dip your toe into these things. And I think people should understand who you are from, from a, a brief few minutes conversation. And, and there's a lot of falseness in the corporate world. And there's a lot of licking each other's asses and being, oh, I really love what you do. Like, and then you actually say, oh, what, what do you love about it? Oh, uh, uh, your energy. All right, great. Take two minutes to read my LinkedIn. You know, like it's it has to be a meaningful conversation and, and that goes both ways. You know, I've, I've done that before. I've done that in rooms where I've not known who the person is at all and just wung it and be like, 
yeah great to meet you like so good and and unfortunately for me I'm very good at that I'm very good at my friend caught me out on it the other day she went oh do you remember this and I went yeah 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 and she went you don't do you I went no idea <laughs> and she went and I went yeah you can tell I work in PR can't you but you know there's there's an element that we all do that but I try and be as authentic as possible and true to myself and and really get my mission across to someone straight away and and, and what I I'll be very honest I had a meeting with an agent a few weeks ago and they said what do you want like what do you want it what's your goal and I said my goal is to work on the BBC like I want to be pitch side on the BBC and they said why the BBC and I went you know what I actually don't know I because I've grown up with it and it's such a big thing and they went what about other networks I thought you're right you're right actually and I think it's that openness and that that for me was how I I shifted my personal brand a bit and thought you know what it's not just the BBC I want to work on it's other things as well my goodness people are taking notes I said that phrase three times but it's so 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 true um particularly I think it's being present with how you communicate I'm going to share our story is that cool with you because I remember when I came across you on Instagram and I particularly when I had a Victoria Rush and I follow the women's game that actually was your crossfit journey your fitness journey and I'm like I was like, keep going, like, because I was, tra- I'm training for a triathlon. I like, that's how it started. It was nothing to do about your broadcasting at that period. I was like, I knew you were doing stuff. And then I was like, and then you were not say struggling, but I think CrossFit has been challenging you with your fitness. And I'm like, just keep going. Like, this is what it's all about. I'm a big believer of like encouragement in general on social media. And I didn't really know, but I just felt it was the right thing to do in the DMs. And then after that, our conversation just grew. Like, I'm a big, like, use some of the phrases I use like what's your shop window is exactly what I say to people particularly on LinkedIn you know your your head headshot and bio that you know when they go into your account and click and that's your shop window you need to utilize every leverage every opportunity of what it provides on every platform but I just want to pivot on three things and you mentioned I love that you shared the BBC isn't your only option I love to hear your thoughts I sort of believe there's three things when you go into a career you need confidence first like confidence self then commitment and then the third thing is to build credibility. Now, I'm going to share yours because this is where I, I admire what you've done the last three years. You mentioned you've worked World Rugby, um, TikTok, O2, also private uh, events in rugby. Like, when was the moment when you went right? It's not just knowing the projects you work with. It's building the credibility in the work you do. Because I think when you build credibility, people know you for that. And that's how you get more opportunities um so when i go with this approach that i've got to find any job i always say no focus on the credibility you want to build i'd just love to hear your thoughts on that approach of things of building credibility in what you do yeah i think it's essential and it goes back to our previous conversation on trust and i think that when you know a lot of my jobs come from knowing people for example so i worked um with world rugby her recently up in Scotland and that came from being referred to world rugby by the Scottish media officer I didn't find out until after and she said they were having a conversation about who to get in you know how to get the message across and my name was mentioned in the room and I think there's nothing more powerful than that than having your name mentioned in a room full of opportunity because that's how you get the work. And then it's almost like a, a snowball effect that once you're in, you're in. And you and don't get me wrong, it's hard and you have to graft for it. But 
you know, I've got some really great relationships with Canterbury, with O2. And the thing, the number one thing for me is that actually credibility goes both ways. I only work with brands and people that are credible to me. So I won't align myself with a brand that I don't trust or I don't really like what they've done or I just don't like their products. I won't. I've, I've said from day one, I studied influencer marketing at uni and the distrust you get from pushing stuff out, you know, like the Love Islanders who come out and you can you can tell they've been paid. It's the same thing with my job. I'm aligning myself with people and with brands. And if they don't align with my personal brand, there's friction there. You can't do that. And I've turned down a lot. I've turned down a lot. I get sent a lot of free stuff that you'll never see because, you know, you can send it to me great, but if I don't love it, it's not going on my story and it's not, it's not being shared and I won't talk about it. We can have a conversation as to how you can improve that product. And I'll always do that. And I'll, I have done that with brands, but in terms of the credibility, both ways, definitely goes both ways, but also you have to align yourself with brands that your audience also trusts, which is why Canterbury is a difficult one because, you know, I don't know if you know much about it, but obviously their, their journey with um, the, the models and, and what happened with that. They, yeah, I do. Uh, Victoria mentioned it. She got involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I do know. It was mentioned on the podcast. They've pivoted. But th the thing is about that is that they did the right thing. They stopped. They listened. And look at them since, since then. They've built up a reputable rugby brand that's pushing forward and it has they the thing is about these brands I work with they do stuff on the big stage but the stuff they do behind the closed doors way more important so I worked I initially actually accepted a contract with O2 because I spoke to a few of the England girls and they said you know what they're one of the best brands we've worked with because they pay us equally to the men and they treat us equally to the men so that's how you know that they've got good intentions it's not it's not a and I've said this before, everything you do on the big stage, great, 100% amazing. What you do behind closed doors, even more important because it shows who you are, what you're about. And this isn't just individuals, this is a collective, as a brand. And then that will make people want to work with you. So if you take one thing away from anything I've said, things you do behind closed doors when the camera's down, when no one's watching, it's your true character. And that's what will push you forward. So before this journey of you going this path, did you set any values? Because obviously I wanted to say, do you set values? But I'm really curious, did you actually write down and go, these values, what I stand for? Because when you do that exercise, it will reflect the people you work with and the opportunities you get. I'm just curious. In terms of values, I think the number one thing for me was to be authentic. Because I think if you are authentic in what you do, you can never go wrong. So by what do I mean by that? By that, I mean being true to yourself. So if there's a brand that I don't really want to work with, even if I am really needing the work, I'll say no. And I don't think you can never go wrong with that. I think that that's, that's crucial. So authenticity is, is really important. The second one was fun. I have to have fun. I have to want to go to Twickenham I have to want to have these conversations I have to have something that will keep me up and I won't the the thing I know when I'm in a flow is when I haven't eaten and I don't advise it it's not healthy but if I'm sat on my laptop 
and I'm like typing away and having phone calls and I'm on a Zoom call and then I'm getting something really big together. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it happened when I was out with the World Cup and I was filming this content and I was doing stuff and I looked at my phone and thought, I haven't eaten or drank anything all day, you know? And it's when you're in that flow that you understand and you you see the fun and, and that's what I thrive off of. And then I think the third one, very, very similar to the first is, almost having like a a welcoming aura about you where you try and pay it forward as much as you can. And I appreciate that, um, you know, I get a lot of young people just coming out of uni messaging me and asking me and, and um, you know, wanting to kind of move forward. And I, I can't say too much about it now, but I am working on a project that hopefully will facilitate that. And when I started in this industry, there was no clear goal. There was no clear path. And more importantly, it's something that hadn't been done before. You know, I it's a very unique job. People like Jess Hayden set the way through her writing, but no one really been doing the TikTok stuff. No one had really been doing the broadcast stuff. No one had been doing a freelancer. You know, they'd gone to uni, they'd got a degree, they'd come to it later. They'd done multiple sports. And I think for me, it's so important to facilitate and put the ladder down for the other women and men who want to do this as well because there's plenty of work to go around and that for me is essential is that when I reach a point and I'm not fully comfortable yet it's still quite a difficult journey but when I do reach a point of being really comfortable that I can then turn around and say actually I don't think that job's a good fit for me but it might be a good fit for her and I've done that with little things before you know um like I, I don't think that's good for me but that could be good for her which is a bit of a detriment sometimes and it's not a normal thing to do to give away work but if I'm in a position to do that I will because I know how hard it is to get your foot on that ladder so that's leadership uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna put it out there wow 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 um on that note of passing the opportunity to somebody else from that those experiences how has it sort of helped you get opportunities you really want because i get what you said it's so hard to just do that but reflecting of when you've done it how's it made you a, a more better leader and professional i've I'm, I'm lost words by the way wow yeah mike's yours i think it's made me more self-aware i i can't cover all of the boxes and there'll be people out there so give, give me an example um there's a content creator called Amy rugby with Amy she's brilliant and she does a lot of fun stuff like she'll go and talk to the fans she'll do trick shots with the fans and stuff like that now if something comes across my desk that is more with fans and and funny and tongue-in-cheek stuff nine times out of ten I'd I'd give it to her or I'd, I'd tell somebody else because maybe I'm busy that week but maybe it doesn't quite fit with what I'm trying to do and if what I'm trying to do is more kind of broadcasty stuff there's no shame in, in giving that to someone else. And I think the number one thing is you learn a lot more about yourself mm -hmm. from and, that. And just being a bigger picture, we haven't even got to this topic yet. I'm just uh, love to hear your thoughts of like the growth of the women's game. Like how excited are you now? Because it's so great. As I said to you beforehand, I played rugby when I was 12, had to stop. But there was a player called um, Alice for London Irish in the camp. She was amazing, but never had that pathway. But now you're in it, like in the rugby industry. I'm just curious of now these records are being broken. 
how exciting are like where are we in your humble opinion like positive growth positive equality like in your like uh, you know your scale of change what's your humble opinion on that I'm just curious yeah it's a very good question I think Twickenham was a turning point to have 58,000 fans show up to a women's game to have signs on the motorway saying big event expect traffic damn right it was a big event and that the RFU get a lot of stick a lot of stick there was not one point on that day that I could have said that's wrong usually not just with the RFU but with any women's game it's like oh they didn't have enough women's toilets open no worries they got extra cubicles in or um, there was too much traffic. No worries, they put advanced traffic signs in. Or it was dead after the game. No worries, they put a full carnival outside the match. Or there was no halftime entertainment. It was really dull. No worries, we got the, twi- the sugar babes. You know, there was, there was, it felt like the women's game was finally being taken seriously. And it felt like a turning point, similar to what we had in the World Cup. Being at that final in New Zealand, 45,000 people in that, stadium you words can't you can't put it into words because people have paid to be there they're not they're not getting paid to be there they've paid to be there they like the sport and the sport is is on its way up why do I think that is I think there's three main reasons number one I think the actual quality of the sport the product let's call it is amazing now the girls are getting nutritionalists you know they're getting S&C they're getting the proper aftercare that they need and the skills are coming along. Number two, the marketing around the sport, amazing. They're finally marketing a product that is working. Look at England Rugby's marketing. I really did praise them. That Some of the visuals they put out, phenomenal. You know, it wasn't just something that's thrown together last minute. They had a serious plan in place. And once you market something, the product is good, the marketing is good, recipe for success and I think the third reason and I'll always come back to this why the game is growing and this isn't just women's rugby this is women's football women's cricket everything the players the players have personality and the personality attracts the fans they are the reason and they know and I've had conversations with multiple different players from multiple different levels they have a responsibility on their shoulders to grow this game, a responsibility that men don't have. They don't have that direct responsibility. The women know because they've come from nothing. They've come from having to fight tooth and nail to even play. So they know that, you know, we say that we leave the shirt in a better place. And the main reason for that growth is... Like New Zealand concept. Sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. the New Zealand concept of fast yeah. shirt. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what these women are doing. And they're doing it damn well. They're, they're not afraid. You'll never have a boring interview with a player because they always just, they're, they're excited to give and, and understand and it's a good chat and, and, you know, they'll always give as much as they can. Look at after the match at Twickenham. It was an hour and 20 minutes after. Marley Packer was still out with the trophy signing. She went back inside to do something and ended up coming back out to talk to the fans, you know? Like, they're these girls, and it's not just England, it's Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Everyone, they just want to talk to the fans. And it's not just a little, yeah, let's do the signature. It's a, hi, how are you? Like, And then they ask them about like kicking or, 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 or skills or, and they'll, they'll interact, you know? It's, 
it's the players. Now, this is really healthy to showcase good practice. I think that's why I want to ask that question, because at times over the years, we look at the negative slant. It's good to highlight it, but it's good. And I'm grateful they shared best practice. Going back to your career now, reflecting the last three years, what have you enjoyed the most looking back right now? Oh, good question. Um, the the number one thing, and I've said it so many times this podcast, but it has to be being at the home of England rugby and seeing 58,000 people flock in. And do you know what the most important thing for me was? It wasn't just a match, but the hospitality boxes were also full. And that is a marker of the game because once you get this game in front of big dogs at big companies, which there were plenty of, you're going to thrive. So it was that was a, a big marker. I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed, um, I sent myself out to New Zealand, spent all my savings. Um, and that trip probably cost me about 15 grand um, on a whim. I just, I booked the ticket and I went, right, let's go. And I have this document and I've still got it on my computer um, called Get Me to the World Cup, baby. And it has got, I'm not even joking, hundreds of lines of people, article like um websites, you know, broadcasters, everything that I just every day in the lead up to the World Cup emailed and relentlessly was like, hey, I'm gonna be out there. I'm I'm a journalist. I can speak. I can do this. What have you got planned? Let's talk about it. And it wasn't until a week before I was due to fly that I got a big deal with the host broadcaster Sparks Ball. And that and I I cannot even tell you I breathed a sigh of relief because I thought, oh God, this trip is gonna be for nothing. And that that for me, taking that leap, so much risk riding. I, on my own, I sent myself purely to New Zealand. Nobody else was there with me. I was purely on my own, booked my own accommodation, booked my own flights. And I, I landed and I got on the back of an Uber and I cried. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I was so overwhelmed. And I thought, I can't do this. I need to go home. Like I can't, I can't be out here for three months. Like, what am I going to do? And then it just... Every day I was up at 4 a.m. doing a radio interview for back home. And then I'd be up late at 7 p.m. doing a radio interview there. I was doing the broadcasting stuff. It was the best thing I'd ever done for my career because selfishly, the Rugby World Cup was played at really hard times for the UK. So it was myself and another guy, Sam, who's also a freelancer. We were the points of contact. And if you needed to know anything to do with the Rugby World Cup, we've got it straight away. It would, it would be double days, it'd be working late, but it was that eye in. And I think for me, that was a highlight for my career because it proved that I can do anything and I can do it well. And I always, when I'm in tough times, a lot of my friends will say, Stella, you sent yourself halfway across the road, the, the world, sorry, with not a penny in your back pocket because you spent it all on everything on your own to a new country with very little experience and you smashed it you'll be fine. And they're probably telling me that because I burnt my pasta or something like that. And, you know, they're like, they're like, come on, get a grip. But I also tell myself that, you know, if I can send myself halfway across the world and make a good go of it, I'm, I'm going to be all right, you know? And, and you have to have some self-awareness there. There's going to be problems. There has. I've had my abundance of them. But you've got to have good people around you and you've got to overcome them. And that's where the enjoyment comes, where you almost prove to yourself that, in the right career here you know like I'm I'm actually doing all right for myself 
Hundred percent. I'm going to put you on the spot with one question. How do you define resilience with regards to our career? Hmm. Great question. I think resilience is getting knocked down and not coming back up again. It's not coming back up again that's important. The resilience is built when you're on the floor and when you really think, I can't, I can't. I can't do this. And then there's this moment and people will be able to recognize and respond to this and feel it because they've done it. There's a moment where you think, I can actually, I can do this because I've done this before. I've been in this position and I've come through it and I've gone through a hell of a lot worse. And then you get back up and you do it again. So the resilience for me isn't built in the getting back up. It's when you're on the floor. And you really think that's it. Like, and I'm not just talking about job, personal life, family life, home life, anything, relationships. And you pull yourself, physically pull yourself, because no one else will. You pull yourself off that kitchen floor. You wipe away your tears. And you think, right, let's go. That's resilience for me. My goodness, what a great <laughs> definition and answer. So I'm just blown away, even from the first reply on this podcast. But out of interest, I always finish with an inspirational question. Feel free to recap. But for the listeners to take action, because this is what the podcast is all about, what three tips would you give to the listener to put into action with regards to pursuing a career in the sports industry? What would they those three tips be? The first one would be talk to everyone and anyone you can about what you're doing and what you want to do because number one that then puts it into the real world when you speak it out of your lips when I said I actually want to be a broadcaster you think right I've said it now like let's go you know it's it's building those connections and networking number two always be authentic to what you want to do but the end goal if you're doing something you might be in a job you don't enjoy. You know, you might be in a situation you're not loving. I can think of off my head four situations I've been in where I've hated it. But what that taught me and the lessons that learned, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be able to facilitate this career if I hadn't have gone through. So even though something might seem like the worst thing in the world and it's really tough and challenging, I promise when you're clear of it, when you're far clear of it, you'll look back and think, I'm actually grateful that that happened. And I think the third one, it has to be almost to just sit back and trust the process. And that sounds so tacky and I hate it. It is the worst, most annoying quote in the world. But once you sit back and, and you've got some real power and you believe that you can do what you can do and you've got belief in yourself, you'll understand that things will come to you and you'll naturally be where you need to be. Whether that be now, whether that be five years time, 10 years time, it's all happening for a reason. And there's a reason that you're in the situation you're in. And that I'll add a fourth in um, to find happiness in mediocre things. For me, that happiness is when I drive to Twickenham, when I drive to Gloucester, a Starbucks or a breakfast roll, singing my heart out, 
like buzzing, just buzzing, driving and being like, yeah. Or like the second bit of happiness is always after an event or something. I come home and I sit on that sofa there and I go, what a day, what a good day, you know? And you have to cling on to those bits of happiness and, and, and really through the tough times know that they're around the corner and you'll get it again. And that's why you do what you do. Stella, I've loved the whole energy of this conversation and I couldn't agree more. With the process bit, I, I can connect with that. It can sound cheesy, but I think the key component is having the belief with it because you didn't know the process in New Zealand, but you believed in it so much, the process would figure itself out. Um, so just for when I learned, heard that, it was like, it's actually the belief, but with process at the same time. If you don't have them together, that's when we don't get what we want to achieve. Out of interest... How can people interact with you on social media? Like where are the best places to go? Um, well, I, luckily I've got a fairly uncommon name. So if you type in Stella Mills, uh, it's not Joe Bloggs, is it? So uh, you can uh, grab me on, on anything, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn uh, and TikTok uh, is Stella Mills. I was actually called Half Pint on TikTok until a red rose who shall not be named pulled me aside and said, Stella, you need to change it to your real name. So I'm now Stella Mills on TikTok, which is great. <laughs> that is awesome. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my blog with regards to the show notes of this awesome podcast chat. Stella, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. My goodness, this is why I enjoy podcasting. I have to say, I want to say a massive thank you for Stella for being a podcast special guest because if you listen to this podcast again, and it's not that if you just want to pursue a career as a sports broadcaster, but actually want to pursue a career in the sports industry, every element with regards to Stella's career journey is, in my humble opinion, the reality of working in the sports industry. It takes such courage, going back right from the beginning, that 3 a.m. preparing for an interview that Stella had that gave her like literally the fire and the enthusiasm to make this her career and then go with it. And I want to just highlight some key components as a bit of a recap. The first one I have to say is having a strong support system. For Stella right at the beginning with regards to her broadcast journey was a father and actually believing in yourself and doing it. Then within that two-month period where started to figure out what to do, what's next, you've just got to really put yourself out there. And she's done that ever since that two-month period. Another key component that was threaded throughout this whole conversation that's vital as a key like career component is having that self-awareness of who you are as an individual, the type of work you want to do, and really checking on yourself. Even again, near the beginning of the podcast chat of Stella's mental health. This is such an important component to talk about in the sports industry now in particular. Like when you work in sport, even myself, when I have recently had a weekend break and have forgotten about that, I'm a podcaster because it's all about checking in and recharging the batteries from a more mindset perspective, but also physical perspective as well. It all links to why health is important. But getting back to what Stella was saying, that self-awareness is massive with regards to your performance in the sports industry, particularly in the direction you want to go with your career. And then finally, having the resilience. 
like I was blown away twice in this podcast. One with regards to, um, you know, when Stella was explaining the frustrations on social media and how she deals with people who message and say rude things, where it's very difficult to know the solution answer, but it's sad that it happens not just in elite performers, but also people in the industry too. And the second one that blew me away, and this is more positive with regards to courage, was her going to the World Cup and literally betting on herself to go to New Zealand. And then at the end of the day, a week before the competition, she got some opportunities to showcase her skills and the career she wants. So honestly, this podcast I know will support you, not just with regards to the lifestyle of Psunica as a sports broadcaster, but actually a lifestyle Psunica in the sports industry. But the key thing reflecting now is, is betting on yourself and believing in yourself and going full out. That to me is what it's all about. Yes, you've got to look at the other components of a career, the finances side, certainly your health, which is vital. The socializing and like relationship side's always a challenge. But with regards to Stella's journey, it's important to like focus what's meaningful to you and go with it. And then all the other pieces will figure itself out along the way, along the journey. But for me, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat as much as I have. And what's really important now is what one thing are you going to apply to your sports career development? And I promise you, if you re-listen to this with a cup of tea or for Stella, a uh, Starbucks coffee, I promise you, you'll learn something new, which then you can apply to your sports career development. So for me, take that one learning lesson, put it into practice now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Stella said, nothing beats putting your toe in the water and experiencing what you want to do. Do it with authenticity and do it with fun.